a couple of announcements. Um, uh, what was it? Oh, sorry, there's no bulletins again yet because um, we're still settling into our new home. So printer's not really 100% yet. And well, my life <laughs> is not 100%. So, um, but next week there will probably be bulletins, but no promises. <laughs> um, but once my new home is ready, I do want to invite uh, our regular church members to, um, to come over, maybe on a Sunday after lunch. I'm guessing maybe the first Sunday of June. Yeah, so loosely keep that in mind. And um, I think that's it. Yeah, no more real big announcements, except, oh, one other thing is um, Family Promise, which is a ministry that we've been a part of, like, since we first started, like, years ago as a house church. Uh, they provide uh, shelter and job training and home uh, placement for families who are transitioning out of homelessness. Um, they uh, haven't been able to function, uh, run their program for the past couple of years, obviously, because of COVID. Um, and, you know, they have to get creative and do other things like families have to be put in motels and uh, volunteers like dropped off groceries. We did that a couple of times, you know, uh, during COVID. So that was fun. Um, but now they're going to be up and running again. And I think they're going to start up again in June where they stay at different churches um, overnight and uh, different people volunteer to buy them meals and like eat with them. So we'll probably do that with them sometime soon, even though we don't have our own property, we definitely can like fellowship with them and share meals with them. And um, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy meeting these families and uh, I spend usually a good time with them. Okay, so uh, we are continuing on in our restart series. So, and today we're gonna talk about feeling stuck. Okay, I'm sure this is a feeling that many of us, if not all of us, have felt before sometime in our lives where we feel like maybe my life isn't going anywhere. I feel stuck professionally. I feel stuck uh, in, you know, romantically in my relationships or maybe lack thereof. <laughs> uh, maybe you felt stuck financially before. And I was thinking about this and uh, Many years ago, when I was feeling this way, um, I started reading a lot of like self-help books. And after a while, I think I became addicted to self-help. Uh, I, I would devour these books on self-help. I would listen to like endless podcasts on this topic. And I would watch uh, like dozens and dozens of TED Talks on you know, self-help or self-development, self-improvement. Uh, topic and anything else I could get my hands on related to this. Now, you might wonder, like, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with self help or, you know, uh, reading into it or researching it a lot? There's nothing wrong with self help in and of itself, obviously. Okay. I think it's a great topic. I think it's great for anyone to try to work on themselves. Like, that's kind of like what we're supposed to do as followers of God, as children of God. The reason why uh, I call it an addiction sometimes is because I was actually more interested in the idea of self-help than actually doing the hard work <laughs> of self-improvement. 
I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about, okay? Um, and it's something that I think many people are experiencing but are completely unaware. They're oblivious to the fact that they think they're getting self-help or doing self-help, but they're actually not. They're reading on the topic, they're listening to podcasts, they're uh, watching TED Talks like I was doing, all of these things that I was doing, yet they're actually not doing the work of self-improvement. And why do we do this, okay? So many people do this, okay? And I, I was uh, reading up on it, reading different articles on this kind of weird phenomena. And interestingly, um, I came across this lecture on YouTube um, by this professor at Stanford. His name is uh, Dr. Robert Sapolsky, okay? Professor at Stanford, and he's a human behavior biologist. He has this short, insightful lecture on YouTube um, called Dopamine, Anticipation, and Relationships. And in it, he talks about how the idea of self-help, the idea of improving your relationships gives you actually more of an emotional high than the actual work of uh, improving yourself or working on your relationships, all right? So it, this is really fascinating, okay? Um, and the reason why I screenshotted this, and then I know it's not the best picture, but the reason why I screenshotted this is because over here, I don't know if you can see that little green dot. I'll just walk over here. So on this side, he shows this graph, right? And on this graph, um, uh, what he's talking about, this XY graph, uh, what he's briefly, what he quickly drew was the result of uh, an experiment that was done on primates, on monkeys. So they would be placed in a room, all right? And uh, this room had a, a light, a light bulb um, on top of the door. And that light would light up right before someone would come into the room and give the monkey a banana, right? And so, uh, and they did this like every day, okay? Um, the researchers, the scientists, like animal biologists, they, they did this on the monkeys every day, right? And after just like a few days, as soon as the light in that room lights up, that light bulb lights up, their uh, dopamine would shoot up, okay? They would get all excited, right? And that's here, right? That's where the spike is. And then when they actually get the banana, it drops down. Isn't that interesting? They actually get excited more with the idea of getting the banana than actually getting the banana. Then after a while, this is really cruel, <laughs> but after a while, um, they started messing around with these monkeys. Like they would light the light bulb, but sometimes they wouldn't come in. But when they would see the light light up, their dopamine would always go up without fail, even if they don't get the banana, even if they don't get the banana. So. This is really fascinating because I think this is what I was doing with all of my reading and uh, listening and watching topics on self-help because I would get more uh, enthralled and excited about the idea of self-help without actually doing the hard work of becoming a better person. <laughs> um, so the problem is I would rarely, if ever, apply the practices that I would read about. So, you know, I want, you know, I would, I would want to know what, what's, what's in the mind of like successful people. 
Okay, like how do very, very successful people think? How do they live? And so I'll read about this and I, and I realize like a lot of successful people wake up super early in the morning before the sun comes up. And they have all of these healthy practices that they do before they get up uh, and before they start their day, right? They make their bed, they exercise for like 30 minutes or so. Um, they meditate, right? And if they journal, they journal in the morning all before they drink their first sip of coffee. And I'm reading about this and I get so excited. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. This is great, right? And then I never do it because <laughs> it's hard. It's freaking hard, right? <laughs> but I read about it and I'm like, this makes sense. This makes sense. <laughs> and then I get all excited and then I don't do it. And I don't do it, okay? And so it's really the anticipation of self-help that gave me this shot of dopamine um, that would get me really excited and not the actual work itself, right? Not the actual work of self-help. That's the hard uh, often a uh, slow, rewarding, and boring part. It's the anticipation of self-help that would get me excited. So in this lecture, um, Dr. Sapolsky, he said this really interesting quote. He said, uh, relationships are the price we pay for the anticipation of having one. Relationships are the price we pay for the anticipation of having one. Now that word relationship, um, you can replace that with other words, right? Mental health is the price we pay for the anticipation of having one. Physical health is the price we pay for the anticipation of having one. And ultimately what we're gonna talk about today is spiritual health is the price we pay for the anticipation of having one. And what he calls this is, uh, Action faking, action faking. You could Google it later if you want, okay? Action faking, okay? And it's this idea that um, you get this rush from the anticipation of doing the work without doing the actual thing, okay? It's action faking. You trick your brain into thinking you did it <laughs> because you get this like dopamine kick, right? And you get all excited and you, know, you get inspired and motivated, but you don't actually do the work because that excitement, that dopamine kick, it gives you the illusion that you did. Now, what's really fascinating is that I think this is like, we're, we're experiencing this every day, multiple times a day. I would argue like hundreds of times a day and we're not even aware of it, okay? And the main reason for this is because of social media. Social media. And I want to say, I want to like uh, talk crap about uh, younger people and say, oh, millennials. <laughs> but I notice older people do this too. Older people on social media. Like, it's not like, you know, old people are on Instagram and Facebook, right? And they're, they're following people, um, uh, like topics that they're, they're um, passionate about, okay? And, and so they see these like inspirational quotes or um, like inspirational uh, images and it gives them this high, this brief high of dopamine kick, and it's action faking, but they don't actually do anything about it, right? They don't actually do anything about it. So it's, it's like the guy who watches endless YouTube videos on bodybuilding and never goes to the gym, but he feels like he's an expert on the topic. 
Um, it's the woman who reads up on therapy, right? Reads a lot of articles on therapy, but never or barely went to therapy herself. And she thinks she is like this um, mental health expert. <laughs> or it's the person who watched documentaries on religion and spirituality, uh, but never actually practiced uh, spiritually healthy habits and deems themselves like this spiritual guru. <laughs> and we're now with the onset of social media, like, you know, we're in this um, post information revolution. Have you guys heard that term before? You know, in the mid 20th century, it was the industrial revolution. Now we're in the information revolution because information is power. Information is power. And uh, there's so much great and helpful material out there uh, lots of doctors, therapists, pastors, physical trainers, all giving you great sound bites of motivation that gives you this boost of excitement and dopamine. And you're like, yeah, I fully agree with this. And you don't do anything about it because that part gives you the high, not the actual work itself. Okay, let me give you a few examples. And I follow all these people too, okay? So I'm just pulling from my own personal Instagram account. Um, this first one, his name is Adam Grant. He's like a, a CEO, entrepreneur, right? And he has all these great quotes. Uh, he often takes pictures of his tweets and then just posts it on Instagram. Uh, and he says stuff like this, right? The ultimate test of success is not whether you're proud of what you're, you've achieved, it's whether you're proud of who you've become. And you read stuff like that and you're like, yeah, that's great. Oh, so inspirational. <laughs> and then I'll do nothing about it. Um, or there's other uh, people I follow. Um, Michelle uh, Ami Reyes, she is a scholar and pastor out in Austin, Texas. Uh, and she was referring to the tragic shooting that happened this week in Buffalo, um, where uh, 13 people were shot, 11 of them were black. And she says this really sincere prayer, right? And we read posts like this on racial justice, uh, you know, social justice. And we think we're actually doing the, it feels like we're doing the work of racial justice or social justice because we read stuff like this and we follow people like her and it inspires us, right? And we fully agree with it, but we're just reading it. It's not doing the work of social justice. I hate to break it to you, right? But so many people think they are. Um, this is another, this is a guy that I love to follow. He, he, I think he's Buddhist. Um, I'm not quite sure, but he also talks a lot about like Jesus Christ. And, um, so yeah, he's a very spiritual guy. Uh, and he, he, he shares a lot of quotes like this, which really inspire me and like make me feel good. But oftentimes I'm just like scrolling through Instagram. I read stuff like this. I'm like, Oh, that's nice. And I don't do anything. <laughs> I don't do anything. But it gives me the illusion that like I'm working on myself. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, action. This is all action faking. Uh, examples of action faking. And this one, ooh, you guys all have to follow this uh, account. This one's great. Okay. Um, um, this is a new happy company or new happy co. Uh, they have all these like really simple 
uh, beautiful graphics um, that visually display what like mental health looks like, as you can see. All right, very simple, right? This is great, right? And I, I, I look at stuff like this, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But I'm like, I don't, then I don't do anything about it. I just look at it and then I'm like, yeah. And I feel good. I get that dopamine kick and then I move on with my life. Isn't that good? Isn't that cute? Oh, so cute. <laughs> but you gotta do it. That's the thing, right? You gotta do it. Okay, just watching this doesn't do anything. It just makes you feel good. But you gotta do it in order to actually improve, right? Actually get better. And so this is one of the reasons why people are often spiritually stuck, but they're not even aware of it. They're not even aware of it. And I hope I'm not just being like uh, cynical because um, the way that people interact with religion and church specifically after COVID is so different now, right? And I don't even think most of them know why they do the things they do or, or you know, behave the way they behave, right? Because it's just, it's such a confusing and difficult time. Yet, when they follow accounts like this and when they read articles on spiritual health uh, when they watch TED Talks on mental health, it gives them the illusion that they're working on themselves, but they're not. And that's the hard part, right? That's what's so deceptive about the times that we are living in today. So how do we know if we or, or when we're feeling spiritually stuck? And if we do become aware that we're feeling spiritually stuck, how do we get out of it? Today, we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, uh, at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Um, so Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it's the only book in the New Testament. Okay, this is like the, uh, probably the most interesting part about the book of Hebrews. It's the only book in the New Testament where the author is unknown. Every other book in the New Testament, you, we know who wrote it, okay? Obviously, Matthew wrote Matthew, right? And they're oftentimes named after the person who wrote the book, all right? And then, then after a while, people just, he just like um, ran out of creativity, right? Oh, this first letter is from Peter. What should we call it? Oh, let's call it first Peter. <laughs> the second letter is from Peter. What should we call it? What's that, Peter? <laughs> um, but Hebrews is, uh, the author is unknown. So most of the time, New Testament books are either named after the author or named uh, after the audience. So like Romans, 
Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the uh, church in Rome, so they called it Romans, right? This one, we had to call it, or the, the um, biblical scholars, the, uh, the early church had to call it Hebrews because we had no idea who actually wrote this letter. We do know that it was written to the Jews in the first century after they, and these are Jewish Christians who are being heavily persecuted. And so most of them had to leave their hometown, places like Galilee, places like Jerusalem, uh, they had to leave these places where they were born and raised, but also where they've lived for generations, where their family has lived for generations. These Jewish Christians were uh, facing incredible uh, amounts of persecution, not just from the Roman government, but also from their own people, their own fellow Jews. Because they became followers of Jesus Christ, they were deemed heretics, and they were ostracized from their towns, from their communities, and even from their own families. They would be rejected by their own family members. And so this is what's called the Jewish diaspora, where they had to leave their hometowns and they were spread, uh, dispersed all across uh, Asia Minor, um, uh, parts of Europe, and even down to parts of Africa, right? Um, diaspora uh, means like disbursement or dispersion. And so the author, this unknown author, you could we could assume he's also a Jewish Christian. He's writing to all of these Jewish Christians who are dispersed in various places, okay, in different regions. And so he writes this letter and it's manuscripted, okay, uh, by scribes. And then it's spread uh, to different churches, communities, and individuals in all these different places. So he's writing this letter as a letter of encouragement to all of these Jewish Christians who have gone through so much difficulty and are dispersed all across Asia Minor, Europe, and even parts of Africa. Um, so these people, the Hebrews, okay, the Jewish Christians, they're feeling lost, utterly confused, maybe even homeless, and definitely like spiritual wanderers. They don't know what lies ahead of them. They don't know uh, where they belong. And maybe even oftentimes, they don't even know who they are. So they feel incredibly stuck in their situation. So in these three verses that we just read, and um, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go through it relatively quickly because my intro was so long. Uh, my intro was long because I felt like that was such a fascinating topic. I hope I'm not the only one. Um, but in these three verses, uh, the author of Hebrews describes different states of feeling spiritually stuck. Okay. And the first one that he talks about is actually just feeling stuck or being stuck in verse one. Okay. Um, let me go back to the passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the imagery here is of someone who's a runner. Okay, like actually physically running, all right? And what he's talking about here, 
you know, uh, like we carry things with us, these burdens that weigh us down. These are the things that hinders us. These are burdens. They, they're literally like slowing us down. They're, they're, it's, it's like a weight on our shoulders that we don't need to carry. And sin, on the other hand, it, it's like a, a spider web or, or like a rope that traps us, entangles us, right? And we're, we're, we're knotted in, the, in, in, in our sin. And sin is um, such a broad and elusive and uh, ambiguous word, right? So, and, and you know, what I, I used to think like, you know, cussing was a sin. Now I don't, right? As long as you're not using it to like put down others. I think if you call someone an idiot is worse than saying a cuss word, right? If you like stub your toe, right? If you stub your toe and you say the F word, right? I'm like, eh, I would do that too. Yeah, that makes sense. And if that makes you feel better, I would say, <laughs> say it louder. <laughs> but if, you know, if someone makes a mistake and you call them an idiot, man, that just, that feels wrong, right? So my <laughs> understanding and definition of sin, it is changing as I'm getting older. Um, but I really love the way that verse one describes it, okay? Sin is really anything that entangles us, that keeps us stuck, that prevents us from moving forward, that prevents us from running this race that we're supposed to race, okay? And I would argue that action faking, what we just talked about earlier, that is sin. That keeps you stuck. Again, there's nothing wrong with following these wonderful therapists, doctors, um, spiritual leaders, all right, entrepreneurs on social media. I follow them all the time, right? And I do this too, right? I just confess that I do this a lot. <laughs> but if it just stays there and you don't actually do anything about it, you're, you're stuck. But it gives you the illusion that you're getting better. This is the great deception that the enemy plays on us. He makes you think you're getting better but you're not. He makes you think you're living in community, but you're not. He makes you think you're improving mentally, spiritually, but you're not. But you're not. And this is so hard to measure. Now with like physical health, that might be a little bit easier to measure, right? Like if, if I'm at the gym and I'm exercising, every once in a while, a guy will come up to me and make these like stupid suggestions, right? And he was like, oh, you shouldn't hold it like that. You should hold it like this. And I look at him. I'm like, you're like in way worse shape than I. I don't say this to them, right? <laughs> I could look at, I could see them. I mean, like, you're in way, I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> right? So like, I know that like, it doesn't make sense for me to like listen to them. But then when it comes to like our mental and spiritual health, that's much more difficult to measure, right? It's, especially when we, even when we look at ourselves, because how do we, you know, we, it's not like we can look in the mirror and like physically see like I'm spiritually messed up, <laughs> right? You really have to do some soul searching and a lot of introspection and a lot of reflection. And this is why uh, this next state of spiritual stuckness is at least better, okay? The first state is you're, you're actually stuck, but you're unaware of it, right? The next state is you're still. Okay, 
you're still. And this is when you are waiting, either by your own volition or by circumstance, you're waiting for God, okay? It says in verse two, um, part A, the first part of verse two, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's this sense that even if we cannot control the circumstances around us, we fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. Okay, so it might feel like you're stuck, but as long as you keep your focus on the God, on Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, you're actually not just stuck, you're waiting. You're in this place of stillness. So even if you can't control the circumstances around, I mean, most of us cannot, right? Uh, as long as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're waiting on him, we're patiently waiting on him, uh, we're improving. We actually are improving. And this one is kind of passive in nature, right? Like waiting, it's, it's kind of passive in nature, but it's at the same time, it's not doing nothing, okay? Uh, you're waiting on God and you're waiting for God to move. You're waiting for God to speak to you. You're waiting for God to kind of guide you to the next step. And hopefully it will lead to, lead to starting new, okay? Starting new. Uh, let me just pull out my Bible app to read this for us. And this is found in the second half of verse 2. Uh, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning a shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason why Jesus Christ came down to earth, lived a perfect holy life, died on the cross, and resurrected from the dead is so that he could pioneer and perfect our faith. Pioneer our faith meaning like he calls us to become his sons and daughters. We become children of God, right? That's what it means to be a pioneer of our faith. And perfecter of our faith meaning like we're constantly starting new. We're starting over, we're starting new, and we're improving. And we cannot do this if we're not still. First, fix our eyes on Jesus, because he's the one who pioneered and perfected our faith. And this is more requires active participation. And it's a way of making a new way for yourself through God's help. It requires active participation. And because God is love, he's not going to force us to do this. We actually have to respond. Jesus Christ is a pioneer and perfecter of our faith, but we also still need to respond because God is love. And he's never going to force us to do his will. And because God is love, God is also patient. Because God is love, God is also patient. So he is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to start new. He's waiting for you to start new. So as you look at these three, you know, and these are um, 
probably, I'm oversimplifying it to a fault, right? <laughs> um, but as you look at these, um, do you know where you are in this? And that could be like maybe the reflection question of the week. Like, where am I spiritually? Do I feel stuck? Or am I being still? Or am I really trying to start new? Am I really trying to start over? Relying on Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for challenging us. Lord, I feel like you've challenged me the most this week as I was thinking and preparing for this message. I'm just realizing how I have so much more work to do spiritually. And I also know that you are helping me every day. And because you are loving, you are patient, and you are kind, and you are slow to anger. And so you are gentle with me. May I not stop at simply being motivated to become spiritually healthy. Let me actually do the work of becoming spiritually healthy through your help. For all of us, help us to do the hard work of introspection, reflection, and really being honest with ourselves so that we could become more self-aware, so that we could truly see where we are spiritually and take the necessary steps to get there. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Have a great week.